0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: From what I've understood is that it's relationships that that change the world and change people's lives. And it's not necessarily, sometimes it's like an invention or something like that, but generally- People are remembered by their relationships and by how much do they care about people and and who's going to be at their funeral because they have to and who's going to be at their funeral because they just loved that person.
5: at greenlight.com slash ACAST.
2: Dave, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Hey, I am really excited about being here.
2: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. Uh, you know, I, I came across your story by way of one of our listeners who wrote in to the show, uh, who I understand was actually one of your former employees, and uh, said that I had to have you on the show and that uh, you had an amazing story. So, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your your background, your story, your journey, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in in 1999, uh, I was out of college and I. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. And uh, I was 28 years old or so. And I said, and someone asked me to uh, to go teach English down in Mexico at this uh, as a volunteer at this school. So I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I could learn Spanish. And it'd be really cool. I could work with youth. I love working with youth. And so I went down there for a year, a place called Centro Noé. And I great place. Anyway, um, while I was there, I, I thought, you know, I need a book bag, something to carry my students' homework in and, and my books, that sort of thing. I walked a lot. So I started looking around for a bag, something like like uh, like Indiana Jones would carry. And because uh, and he was my hero, right? And I think every man kind of, most men, you know, just recognize the guy's a stud. So anyway... Um, I couldn't find a bag like that, but I found a bag maker. And so I sketched out this bag, and I said, could you make this for me? And he said, yeah, you bet. So I came back in a week or so, and he had made this bag. And, man, when I got back up to the States, everywhere I went, people were stopping me to talk about my bag. And, hey, excuse me, sir, where could I get one of those bags? And I mean people were crossing the street to ask me about my bag. And it was pretty cool. And so I thought, hey, maybe there's a business here. So um, I moved on back down to Mexico, uh, ended up selling real estate for a couple of years, uh, timeshares, <laughs> whatever I could do to be near the leather work there in Mexico and have some bags made. Well, I ended up living in Juarez, Mexico for about three years and uh, sleeping on the floor with my dog. Uh, I had a black lab, black lab named Blue and... Uh, and all the money that I uh, that I got from not spending it on hot water <laughs> because I didn't have hot water for a few years, um, I would take and I would uh, send back to the guys um, down in further south of Mexico, and they would they would send me up um, some bags on the bus. I take them across the border, sell them, and uh, and then on eBay, and people just just kept going crazy for them, so. Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was just fantastic. Finally, I ended up meeting my wife on MySpace and uh, moved down to San Antonio, and the we started our own factory, uh, and it's just been going ever since. Hmm.
2: So, you know, one of the things I like to do is uh, look back really, really far into people's lives, like long before they started doing the work that they're doing, and look back at sort of the formative experiences and uh, significant people and influences early in their life. And I'm curious, what were
1: yours? So, my dad of course, my dad uh, established my uh, you know who I was uh, my character uh, what was right and wrong, lying, not lying, you know that sort of thing my uncle Pat was just a wanderer I and mean, he he's still he still he's 63 now I think, and he's just still wanders <laughs> he's a so one time he he bought a Ford escort wagon and he took all the seats out and he went on this big long trip around the rim of the North American continent for about a year. And he came back and showed me all these cool pictures. And um, that's just uncle Pat. And uh, he, so he had a huge influence on me. And then my youth pastor, when I was in, in youth group in high school, um, man, he was the coolest guy in the world. I thought, man, he's like a real Indiana Jones. And he ended up moving to Mexico to be a missionary and to teach at that school, uh, where I ended up teaching and, uh, but you know, how he loved people and how he was adventurous and, but, but more, most of how he loved people, uh, and he was fun and likable. And, um, that was huge for me. Really, really valued that.
2: You think that, uh, those types of people, uh, you only recognize them in retrospect, or did you know that that's what you're getting, uh, at the time? When you knew they were in your life,
1: no, you know what? With with Dad, I didn't know. I just all I knew is that I wanted to be like him, and that and this is what's right, son. And this is what Munsons do, son. And um, and then Uncle Pat, he was just always in our life, sleeping on the floor somewhere. Or uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really think about it at the time. But um, yeah, they were just profoundly impacting to me, and it makes me wonder too. Um, who in who do I not even not even aware of that that uh is that I'm impacting? And so, you know, a guy told me one time. He said, "You know what? You are teaching and training and discipling people all day long, and whether it's good or bad, this is how you handle money. This is how you treat people. Um, you're doing it. So just be careful."
2: So this is something I've actually not asked anybody, uh, at least in this form. Do you think that it's easy to find those people later in our lives? Because <clears throat> so often when I ask people that question, it ends up being, uh, you know, who they were earlier in your life. And <clears throat> as we get older, I, I almost think that we stop looking for them. But I am really interested in, in you know, how you find them later in life.
1: Um, you know, you have to be looking for it. And so, um, you know, like w- when I get a flat tire. Mm-hmm. I go, hmm, I wonder, and so I'll go look. At, is there gonna be like a diamond ring out there? Is this gonna be like a real blessing to have a flat tire? Is it gonna be a hundred dollar bill that flew out someone's window? Um, you know, I'm expecting for for things to happen, um, and it goes like that with people too. So um, I always say I never sit next to a boring person on the airplane, and um, and I've had people say, "Dude, you're always you always sit next to really interesting people." And I go, well, the guy is a street sweeper in Minnesota, and so he's not real busy at this time of the year, and I happen to be on the same flight as him, and, and he was telling me all about how, you know, anyway, but you expect that you're sitting next to a really interesting person, they have something about them, or expect that maybe this person is going to be the person who can pour into you, uh, not just, hey, who can I pour into, who could I help, but rather, I wonder why I missed this flight. Is there someone I'm going to be sitting next to that is going to be able to pour into me that I'll have a long term relationship with? I I wonder, and I'll start looking around for eye contact, you know, in the airport when I miss the flight. And uh, but I think it's a it's a attitude of expectation. I'm just expecting that I'm going to have someone in my life who's going to pour into me, and other people that I get a chance to share what the the things that I've learned and messed up on. um, I'm able maybe to share with them.
2: You know, it, it sounds to me like you live in this constant state of wonder and and uninterrupted uninterrupted marvel, which I, I totally stole from Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, Big Magic. But uh, it just that you know it reminded me so much of that phrase uh, when you described that. And I wonder, you know, how you start to cultivate that uh, in your own life. Like, how do we do that in our lives?
1: Yeah. So um, I had a roommate once named Tim Richards, really neat guy, really really neat guy, and. Um, and he said to me, I came upstairs and plopped down in the living room. And he said, Dave, did you smell those flowers up over on the steps there by the steps? And I go, what flowers? <laughs> and He goes, the flowers right there, they smell really nice. Here, let me show you. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, sure, whatever. So I walked out there and he smelled them. And then he said, here, you, you smell. So I smelled these flowers and I was like, wow, that was nice. And he said, "Dave, flowers are like this little—it's like this little free thing in life, and and it's uh it's just this free little gift that we get, just brightens our day and it makes things better, and and it's free. And so, I man, I thought, how have I missed this all of my whole life, (laughs) all my long twenty-three years? How did I miss this? And but you know what? I started stopping to smell the flowers, and so." I started looking at what that did for me is it really got me thinking, man, how many simple, little, nice, little pleasures am I missing out in life? And um, and anyway, I, I just helped me to be way more uh, in tune with that. So I would say, literally, stop and smell the flowers. And once you do, you'll begin to look for other simple, little pleasures and just be in awe of, like, wow, this is, I'm surrounded by really. Um, a lot of neat things and just in constant wonder. Hmm.
2: So one of the things you said is that when you finished college, you really didn't have any sense for uh, what you wanted to do. And that's how you ended up in Mexico. What would you say to somebody who feels that they've reached a point in their life where they don't have any sense of what they want to do or where they want to go?
1: Oh, like every person (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, like like every single person on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, to that person, <laughs> I would say. Um, um, so I was I got to have lunch with Zig Ziglar before he died, and and his his son Tom and I knew a, a common friend, and so we got to have lunch and and he told me he said, you know what, I was when I was forty seven, I was broke. I was no, he said I was unemployed and in debt. At 47 years old, and this guy was like one of the most successful men ever to be born in America, and and he, I mean, just helped millions of people, and he was unemployed and in debt at 47, and um, and so he he said, yeah, it's kind of like you're in training until you're 50. And I talked to this guy who was the head of this big organization throughout all of Latin America. He lived in Colombia. He was up visiting some friends of mine in Mexico. And I got to spend a couple hours with him. It was really cool. Well, actually, he was pouring into me, and I didn't didn't know it. But he said that his real impact in his life didn't really start going deep and wide until he turned fifty. Um, and so it's when they said about Jesus, they said this guy is only like thirty. You know, he's like 32, thirty two. He's he's not even fifty years old yet, and he's talking like this. Wow, they were really impressed. So what I've learned and uh uh that you're in practice and training until you're fifty years old. And that's when you really have a lot of wisdom. You have failed so many times. You've messed up so many times that you're like, man, never do that again. Or you start a business, and you go, Oh, let's watch out for that one. Let's uh let's do this instead. And 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 that's when you really start rolling at around fifty years old. But until then, just expect it that it's training. Um you're um, you're in training for something when you're when you're a little bit older, and not that you can't do significant things and really care and love people and make an impact in their lives. Um, before then, you can for sure, but just expect that you're you're learning different things of what you learning about yourself, what you don't like, what you'll never take a job again as, um, what you really love, what you enjoy, what makes you. Laugh, you know all these things that as you're learning yourself. Um, I mean, be taking personality tests and profiles. Um, I would say, uh, but learn and and eventually you'll be you know like that coin thing you, at the airports or in the mall. You drop a coin in and it goes. It's a donation thing and it goes around about a three foot wide um, circle and it just mm-hmm. keeps on going down like a tornado. And all of a sudden you're down that little thing down the bottom. And you drop down. That's that's like we are in life. You go all the way around the edge, and you just keep on figuring it out, figuring it out, and you just keep on funneling down to the center. And when you're around 50, you're getting pretty close to that, to that center part. So don't be discouraged, but keep trying things, and keep stepping out, and, um, um, and, and keep doing things.
2: So I want to talk about failure and setback, and I'm really glad you brought this up. Uh, I'm curious, in your own life, what have been some of your biggest failures and setbacks? How have you bounced back from them? Why do some people bounce back, and why don't other people bounce back? So lots of questions
1: in one, I realize. (laughs) Oh, man. So I've had like, I don't know, 25 to 30 jobs, which goes along with the last question. Um, And... Until I started doing these things myself, um, I, one of my biggest um, failures was when I was, I was too proud to ask for help from anyone. And I thought I could do it all. And so um, when the kind of guy you want to be is the guy who raises his hand and says, hey, could you, um, could you help me? I, I don't know what to do here. Man, those are the ones you want on your side. Those are the ones you want to help. Those are the ones who are who want to learn and get better and they're humble. And the ones that are that just uh, don't you think I know what I'm doing? Back off. Get out of the way. I'll take care of it. And then they start guessing. Those are the guys who who are big failures in that. And so as I was doing the business as I was starting at saddleback and it started growing and I couldn't keep up and I was but I was the only one who could do everything right. And so therefore I was I wouldn't delegate out to anybody. Um and and I got to the point where um where I owed a whole lot of money to um the tannery and to the factory that I was having make my things. Um because I I thought I could take care of all the finances. I thought I could do all the stuff I owed well, to me it was a lot. Maybe to some people it's not it was a hundred and I think forty six thousand dollars and they said we're not sending you any more bags. And I was thinking, where'd all the money go? <laughs> and uh, and um, that was huge for me. Uh, almost went out of business with that. And I was married and I had a baby and um, had to take care of everybody and and uh, almost went out of business for that. That was a, that was a wreck. Um, uh, I tried to start a t-shirt company once. I found out, <laughs> actually interesting enough, creative guys – Start t-shirt companies, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so we have all these great ideas, slogans, all these cool things. I mean, like Hallmark would love to have us, and uh, and so I started this t-shirt business, and um, it failed. And I just kept, I don't know, just kept trying things. And I was, I was a failure at relationships. Um, I don't know. I just kept. I think part of it was. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I kept self sabotaging myself um, in relationships. But I was—I uh, don't know—I was too proud, I think, for the for a long time, and I still struggle with that and being too proud with things. And then, and then, uh, and then I, 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 I like reading the book of Proverbs, and it's just the wisest guy in the whole world uh, ever wrote down a bunch of thoughts, and um, and that's that. Uh, that helps me to regularly read the Book of Proverbs because it's the best business book out there um, uh, for that very thing. He says, um, he says you got to be humble. That you you can tell the humble king because he's got a, he's surrounded by a bunch of wise counselors because he's asked for help. Um, the proud king who wars with everybody um, doesn't have anyone that he asks for help, and he's too proud, so he's always at war. It's really interesting. Can um, some timeless principles there? Hmm.
2: What kept you going? I mean, after all those failures, like why did you keep trying?
1: Um, well, I didn't want to work for anybody else, and uh, um, and I just I don't know I just knew that that I I could through my business that I could have a real impact on people. And I always thought that business wasn't done the way that I think it should be done. Um, like really great care for, for your employees. I was never cared about in any job that I worked at. Um, that, um, quality was a really big, huge deal to me. And I thought, Hey, I would be able to influence people. Um, in, um, I've been able to influence with quality and with educating people on quality, with um, with the way business is done. I thought, I have a big chance here to influence, and I can't blow it. And so I was just really, really, really not wanting to blow this chance that I was given. It's it kind of the bad company kind of plopped in my lap. I didn't even want to start a company. Uh, it just kind of happened, and I got more and more demand for them, and, and uh, I just – I had to do it because I had so much demand for it and, uh, but I didn't even really try to start the business. And so, uh, but once I got started, I started realizing the potential that we could have and how we could impact more lives. We could really pour into people in, in, in bigger and more significant ways than I ever could by myself. And so that's what drove me to keep on going was, was being able to influence and to be able to love people, um,
2: Do you have the sense that you were destined for something special throughout your life?
1: Um, no, not not in the beginning. Um, I had heard, I had heard uh, different people. Um, I eh, see. It's kind of a weird one because. It would sound all real cocky if I said yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, it, you know I, I asked the question because somebody asked at you know brought it up in an interview Donald Miller did, and I yet to have asked the, that question to somebody, so I was curious and it seemed like <laughs> a perfect person to ask it to.
1: So, do you think you're handsome? <laughs> 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 no, um, I, I there was a little something there that I, I felt like um, I was never content with the way things were done, and so I thought maybe. Um, they can be done differently, and I, I, I tended to make friends uh, and establish rapport real easily with people. And from what I've understood is that the, it's relationships that 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 change the world and change people's lives. And it, it's not necessarily sometimes it's like an invention or something like that, but generally people are remembered by their relationships and by how much do they care about people and and who's going to be at their funeral because they have to and who's going to be at their funeral because they because they just loved that person and um, and so I I've always really enjoyed relationships um, and I knew that that would do something for me uh, but I never really thought that um, I never really thought that I would be destined for greatness and I I, I still don't. I, I hope so. I hope that, that I'm used to be, um, to really impact a lot of lives. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I never, never really have thought that I was destined for greatness. But for goodness, I guess. <laughs> to be pretty good at things.
2: So when you were in Mexico, you decided that you needed a bag most people wouldn't go and draw one and take it to somebody and say, can you make this for me? And I'm wondering what it is about you as a person that would make you do that as opposed to trying to find a bag and just buying it. And you know, what character traits enable that and are those things that can be learned?
1: Okay. So, so here's the deal. So people have said, man, I love your designs. You're such a good designer. And I think, no, <laughs> not really. I I, um, I like to improve things, um, but I'm not really that great of a designer. And so, but so I'm when when I got when I got uh, married, uh, my wife and I we moved down to Mexico, and we were in this really cool town called Guanajuato. It was really really neat, and we stopped in this little restaurant close by there, and I flipped a little paper little paper placemat over, and I said to my wife, hey, honey, tell you what, um, uh, I'm going to sketch out, or uh, you sketch out like a, a purse, okay, like a tote or a purse or something like that, and, and then we'll go get it made. Just just like a, seriously, a 2D drawing, that's all. And she looked at me, and she said, okay, uh, I'll do it after you balance the checkbook. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, I get it. You, you hate designing. And uh, and so uh, that was in 2006. And so um, later on, I, I said, hey, honey, I'm going to – or my wife had traded for one of our bags for a Louis Vuitton tote. And some lady traded on, on, on uh, Facebook. And so she got it, and she goes, this is horrible. She goes, this is stupid. This is a terrible tote. She goes, I could do it so much better. (laughs) So I go, really? Like what? She goes, oh, like I'd do this and I'd do that. I'd put a pocket for a phone and I would do this and that. And I go, oh, like this. And I started sketching, you know. And my sketches are like serious, like stick man sketches. And um, so she goes, yeah, yeah, but they'd be a little lower on the side there like that. And it'd have a handle through there and stuff. And so she was really good at improving something. And now you ought to see my wife go. She is amazing. She is a prolific designer, and it's not that she designs things uh, brand new. She wakes up middle of the night and starts sketching down out stuff next to her bed and stuff like that. She just she'll see it, something and she'll make it better, and not like docking off or anything. But she'll she'll uh, make things beautiful or very functional. Very stylish. She uses the right kind, kinds of leathers with the right accents and the hardware. Seriously, my wife gets so many compliments on her own stuff when we're walking. People, Some women will say, oh, excuse me, man, where'd you get that tote? That is beautiful.
2: Hey, Dave, I lost you. Beautiful.
0: Hey, Dave. Oh, man. You put Sorry me about hold. That. Keep going.
2: Keep going. I'll, I'll go back and edit. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, my my wife just called in. I'm on my phone in the car. <laughs>
2: no worries. Uh, just keep going and I'll
1: edit right. this out. So my wife started this business called Love 41, and it, all the money goes to widows and orphans and street kids in, in Rwanda. And it's the same as saddleback leather, but it's Love 41. It's a more feminine thing. She has almost all of the designs in there, are hers. I mean, in fact, all of them are. And she is, uh, women are stopping her all the time. Where'd you get those? We get the emails in. Where did you find that bag? This is so cool. And all these women are stopping her, stopping these, the customers and stuff. And so it's not that she's a good designer. It's she sees something and she knows, she knows how to make it better. And so I wasn't happy with any bag that I found. I looked for a bag um, to carry my school books in when I was a teacher. And I couldn't find one, and so because I couldn't find one that I liked that was good enough, so therefore, I just kind of sketched out a a basic 3D drawing, and put some dimensions on it, and he just put something together, and um, and then I started improving it. So I say for for designers and stuff for people, most people, if you had a bag and you hand a bag to someone, hey, what would you change about this if you could? They go, hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't like how the zipper scratches when you go in, and I change the lining for sure. And it's a little too, I don't know, bulky on the top part. Seriously, that's what I do: is I improve things, um, and I try things. So many people don't try anything. So I have this, um, I have this hard-sided briefcase that I've been toying with. We've done like fourteen of them. And all of them have been total train wrecks. Either like they weigh twenty pounds, or they or they don't close, or just weird stuff about them. And but because of the designing in that, I've been able to spawn off other designs that have come from that, like the this a uh, carry on we're doing right now, and these different things that have that I wouldn't have been able to do if it weren't for the hard sided briefcase that has been a total disaster. Um, it's I don't know how many I don't even want to talk about the heart briefcase anymore it's, it's kind of painful <laughs> to, to talk about that but um, uh, but anyway yeah so so that's what happens is I, I make things better um, and I improve them um, and without I'm not happy I'm rarely happy with anything that I even design um, I'm always wanting to make it better and make it better and make it better so yeah um, Uh, I wish more people would do that.
2: You know, one thing that you have uh, made reference to throughout our conversation uh, is uh, religion and God. And I'm curious about what impact, um, you know, your religion, your spirituality, and, and all of that and your faith have had on the way you run businesses and the way you build relationships with people.
1: Well, so here's the deal. Um, I've got this really neat relationship with God, and it's like this one-on-one thing. Um, and there are a lot of jerks around me. I'm a hypocrite. Let's just get that out of the way. I'm a hypocrite. I try not to be, but I am sometimes. And um, But I've got this neat relationship, and, and, and in it I've gotten like this, like when a storm comes through my life, yeah, I, we have sad times and stuff, and uh, real bummers at times, and... Uh, see storms come through, and I have this peace, and it's 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 like what's going on here, um, and it doesn't things don't bother me as much, and and I have this joy that's really really cool, and see it's not this anything that I can that I produce that I come up with, but it's what it's what God does inside of me, and so I because of this cool relationship I've got, and so I think man this is really cool. Why doesn't everyone have this? And um, and if only more people knew about this. And so, it's not that I'm trying to trying to have people. I don't know. Oh, excuse me. And it's not that I'm trying to convert people or proselytize people or or anything. I'm just trying to go, man. You guys, you should have a. I have this cool relationship, and um, and I think that you'd really like it. And you don't have to convert to anything. You can stay Catholic or Baptist or you can stay Methodist or anything. I don't care. You can stay Mormon if you want. Uh, you can stay, whatever you are. But but this is a really neat relationship. And you got to check it out. And so then I run the business um, um, in a way like people, they say people don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I'm, I'm going – well, I can't just tell them about this cool relationship with God. I've got to, I've got to like, I don't know, show them that I care about them and that I love them, and then, and then they're going to want to know why I love them, and so therefore we run the business in in that way, um, so that people ask. And um, just the other day, in fact, just the other day, and so just the other day I go, uh, we opened a daycare. My wife, listen. My wife is amazing. <laughs> if you think you got a better wife than I do, uh, we'd have to debate on that because she is amazing. Ele- 11 different women call her their best friend. And she's super compassionate, great mom and all that. But she, she opened this daycare at our, at our factory in Mexico. And, uh, and it's been huge for the employees. It's free. And this guy came up to me. HR brought him up to the conference room where I was, and and he, they said, hey, he uh, he wants to share with you um, something. So, oh yeah, bring him in, come on in. So he he walks up and he stands there and he just started crying, and he said, listen, um, I've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old, and my wife and I both work for you. And he goes, but we leave our kids with her, my mother-in-law, out of town. Um, Monday through Friday. So we get Saturday and Sunday with him, but Monday through Friday we don't and it's just brutal. He goes it's really hard and our it's really hard. We we're miserable, we cry all the time. And he said this is really changing our lives. And he said why are you doing this? Like nobody does this. Why are you doing this? And I said, "Well, it's because God has this this love for you and he wants to have this personal relationship with you, and so what he did is he put it on in, in me, in my heart to do it, and and it's his money anyway. It's his business, so it's his money. Nothing I have that wasn't given to me. So therefore, he put it in in, in us to um, into my wife, and and so now we have this daycare, and it's because he wanted to show you how much he loves you. There you go. That's all, and he was just sh- shaking his head like. Wow, I'm not sure if it's was like this guy's weird, or if he was like, wow, that's that's really cool. And so, um, so we we also we see the business has since since it's not. It, it, this this is a little tip; it makes life a whole lot easier. So, like my brother-in-law is never going to listen to this, so I can share this. <laughs> so he borrowed my truck one time, and it comes back all scratched up, I'm like gouges in the tailgate. And, and I looked at it and of course he denied it. Right. And so I, I looked at the, sh- the gouges. They were not there. They were fresh. There was no rust. And I go, I go, um, well, uh, God, uh, you did see that my brother-in-law scratched up your truck, right? <laughs> so just thought I'd let you know about that. And, uh, or Hey God, you saw that someone stole some bags, Um, from us, right? You saw that from your company. I just make you aware. Um, But we see it as God's business. And so that has a huge impact on the way that we run the business. Um, He would care for his people. He would have marriage classes for them. He would have uh, financial classes for them through Dave Ramsey. He would have daycares. He would have English programs to break the cycle of poverty. He would do all these things for if it were his business. And so, since it is his business, we just treat it as, as such, and uh, and people seem to like it. Mm. Wow.
2: So, as the business has grown and as you've become more successful, mean, um, you know, obviously everybody knows how your life changed next to success. So I'm curious about how your internal narrative uh, around money and success has changed or developed as this business has become more successful.
1: Um, well... So uh, when I was living in Juarez with Blue, there was a time when I had I had $19 in my bank account, and I, I thought, I didn't have any money on the horizon for three weeks. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, you know what? I have a full bag of dog food, so Blue's taken care of. I just paid my rent. Um, I have a, uh, a tank of gas. I, I, I can all have to eat. I mean – Jesus didn't eat for like 40 days. What the heck? I can go like 21. And so that was the plan. I just wasn't going to eat after I used my last, you know, $19. And, um, so I got to times like that, but, um, money was never, was never really important to me. And so, uh, and I don't know what it about that was. I mean, of course everyone likes money, um, and I'd rather cry in a Ferrari than on a bicycle, <laughs> is what I heard someone say the other day about that topic. Um, and but money was never important to me. So we have money, but um, the the thing about it is that joy comes from giving money away, not by hoarding it. And so if someone thinks that uh, one more house or one more or a helicopter pad or riding first class every time or all that sort, of, if they think that's going to bring them joy. Then they're totally and sadly mistaken because um they say i I had heard once that at, under like twenty five thousand dollars a year in income, money makes you happier, maybe it's twenty thousand that money will make you actually have more happiness in your life, but after that, it doesn't bring you one more ounce of joy um and and, so, and we go to Rwanda a lot and and uh and we you know take the whole family and the people over there are so filled with joy and yet they have nothing they have absolutely nothing and if everything doesn't go right this month they could be dead next month but you know what they have joy and so it has to have be something different from that than from money the joy comes and happiness in life comes from something other than money um and so of course you know for them, money would make them happier in um, education, shoes, and all that sort of thing. But um, but I've, I've seen so many people without money who are happier than all the people who are complaining about them who don't have money. So I think it's just seeing a lot of it and seeing a lot of joy and experiencing a lot of joy outside of money that's made it to where it doesn't really matter that much. But I've also heard it say along the same lines. I've I've been miserable rich and miserable poor, and I prefer miserable rich. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so and it is fun. And, and I was traveling way before I had any money. And I was I was. Um, here's a key to a success key to successful business is be generous, and don't be generous once you have enough money, mm. but be generous when you have nineteen dollars in a bank account. And don't start giving money away once you got through tax season and you know how much money you got left. Give money away and give your time away and give your 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 mind away way before. Be generous with your mind. Be generous with your with with helping people. But be generous when you're broke and be generous before because it's easy to give out of your abundance uh, and for tax purposes. But it's not easy to give. Um, to give when you don't have much, but I want to, I'd love to challenge people with that to, to be generous when, when it's hard to be generous, not when it's easy.
2: Well, Dave, uh, this has been great. So I have one last question for you, uh, which is how we finish all our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Um, relationships, it's how a person, a, a, an unmistakable person, is uh, cares about people and will err on the side of relationships. Uh, a guy told me one time I was I was going to be a youth pastor. I was just getting into it, and I said, "Bruce, you've been a youth pastor for a long time. Give me some give me some tips here." And he said, "I got one for you." He said, err on the side of relationships." He said, if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on being too relational. If you're working on a talk for that, the, for that evening, and some kid comes in and wanting to talk, and you're, about, you're working on your speech or whatever, he goes, drop the speech, talk to the kid. He said, the relationships are, are, are all that last. So, um, you know, and it's the same, you hear the whole kind of uh, cliche, man on his deathbed, he wished he'd worked more, right? No, he wished he'd have spent more time with his family. Um, he wished he'd had more relationship with his wife and kids, is what it is. And so, um, uh, a person who errs on the side of a relationship is an unmistakable person. Hmm.
2: Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your journey uh, your insights for the listeners the
1: Unmistakable Creative. Ah, thank you so much. This is really cool to be on this show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Monday on The Unmistakable Creative.
0: I think that whatever capacity of resiliency I've developed, I've developed by watching others and developing a little bit of faith. You know, my sister once said to me, my sister Anne, one of my sisters, We were talking about some stuff going on in the family, and she said, you know, the difference between you and a lot of other folks, Jerry, is that you actually have the faith that change is possible.
2: Former venture capitalist and coach Jerry Colonna joins us to talk about faith, resilience, and grit in the process of building a business.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.